This week on One Body Stewarding God's Creation, psychologist Eric Brown talks about anxiety during COVID. What is causing this anxiety? How do we keep ourselves in a perpetual cycle of anxiety? What can we do to get out of this cycle? Well, let's find out. Eric is being interviewed by Divine Mercy Radio's on-air host, Ken Billinger. Right now, we welcome in Eric Brown, graduated from Franciscan University of Steubenville with a Bachelor of Arts in Psychology. Afterward, graduated with a Master of Science in Clinical Psychology from Fort Hayes State University. Currently works as a psychologist three at Larned State Hospital, member of Prince of Peace Parish in Great Bend, married to Jacqueline. They have two sons. Anthony and Justin, and I'm assuming that's Anthony. That is Anthony, yes. Anthony mm-hmm. is peeking in today to see what's going on this afternoon. So, all right, well, we want to get started. This is, you know, this is a such an important topic. I, I think before we really get into this, Eric, I want to talk about the fact that even, mm-hmm. even before COVID, we've seen so many cases of uh, young people struggling and taking their lives and, and with uh, mental health issues. And I think first and foremost, one of the, to me, one of the biggest issues is the stigma that comes around that. You know, we need our physical health, but sometimes people look at mental health as like, ooh, I, I don't want to talk about that. Or that's, the, you know, somebody's, you know, that we don't need that. Or we don't want to talk about mental health. And I think that's really important. There's a stigma that seems to be attached to it. And I don't know why, but we've dealt with that. And I think it's getting better. But what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I 100% agree with you about the stigma. I think that, um, I do think, I agree with you also, I do think it's getting better. I think for a long time, and some of this is just going to be my opinion and, and disagree with it if you like, but I think that for a long time we didn't really know what, why people were acting the way they were. You know, people were you know responding to voices and were acting bizarrely. They were attacking people. They were taking their own lives. You know, and and no one really knew why. The brain is a very complex organ, and it is not something that you can easily kind of dissect and figure out how it's working. Within the last fifty years, we've really been able to understand how the brain works a lot more. And um, there used to be an, uh, this idea of a, a organic disorder and a not inorganic disorder. The organic would have been something that you could tell was something wrong with the brain. Um, inorganic, they didn't know w- what was going on. It was something, you know, bizarrely, everybody thought. We're now understanding more and more any type of mental illness is really a brain disease. There, there is something wrong with, with the brain and that, and like any other organ, it can get uh, disordered. It can get, um, you know, have problems with it. And so that's really, I think, where we have to be looking at now is that, this is a medical issue that people are having, and we have treatments for it, thankfully. Medications, psychotherapy, various other psychoeducational groups and, and, and things like that that are very helpful. And so some of these disorders can be cured. Some of them are chronic illnesses. And so I think the more we can understand this is not just kind of 
you know, why this is happening is because there's really a brain disorder. It's not just because we don't know why. Mm-hmm. We, we under, start to be very well understanding what, what's going on. So I think that, that putting it in that medical framework really helps make it more accessible and understandable. Sure. Well, we're going to talk, obviously, COVID-19 is, is just really, it's an unprecedented event that's happened and obviously causing anxiety even to a, a, a greater degree. What are some of the anxieties caused by COVID-19 by the pandemic? Right. Before I really get into that, I wanted to kind of take a moment just to make clarify language because we use anxiety, fear, worrying, nervousness. We all kind of have an understanding of what that means. But when in the mental health field, those things are very specific. And so first, what exactly is anxiety? And I'll kind of give the $100 explanation, then we'll break it up a little bit. Um, Anxiety is a state of psychological distress and dysregulation and inner turmoil about future events. So really, you're, the best way to describe this is being worried about some things that could happen or might happen. And so it gets you upset, it gets you worried, and there's usually tends to involve a lot of rumination. So you're constantly thinking about it. Maybe you can't stop worrying about, about what might happen. And there tends to be somatic symptoms. So we have things in, in, in our body uh, are you know, feeling tense. We're restless. We can't sleep. We can't concentrate because we're just focused on this worrying. Our body kind of has some muscle aches because we're holding ourselves so tense. What anxiety is not is fear. Fear is an emotional response to a real or perceived imminent threat. So this is something that's actually happening. So again, anxiety is things we think might happen. Fear is an emotional with things that are happening. So an example is, is thinking about going camping. If we're going camping, let's say we are camping, we're going on a nice nature walk, and there's some rustling in the woods, in the forest, and out walks a bear in front of us that stands up on its hind legs. The emotion you're going to feel when that, hap- when that happens is going to be fear. That is going to be your fight and flight response is going to kick in. You're going to decide, am I going to run away? Am I going to just like play dead? Am I going to have to like try to like push this bear and try to somehow beat it? That is fear. Anxiety is sitting on your couch knowing you're going to go camping and worrying about what will happen if I go on this nature walk and encounter a bear. So one is about future events. One is one of fear is when it's actually happening. So I hope, that, I hope that makes sense. Sure, that makes perfect sense. Yeah. And obviously, uh, really clarifying uh, that information for us. So let's talk about the, some of the anxieties and things caused by COVID-19, by this pandemic. Again, because it's we haven't dealt with something like this, where it's just a very unusual year so far. But right. talk, talk a little bit to that, if you would. Sure. I think, first, obviously, uh, that we have anxieties about our health, you know, um, worrying about being infected with COVID, worrying about our loved ones being infected. I think a big one is what, what's going to happen if I get it and I get quarantined? Uh, how long am I going to be quarantined? What if I got contact traced and I have to be stuck in my house for two weeks to a month? Mm-hmm. What happens if a loved one gets sick and I can't go visit them in the hospital because they won't let me? What if I get sick and I can't have any visitors? I even know there's been uh, situations where people are sick and they're not even able to get um, anointing of the sick because the priests aren't able to get into the hospitals. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, worrying about the death of loved ones who might pass away, worrying about how are you going to cope with this, all that is going on. Then on top of that, you have the economic and work. Um, you know, If you are working in kind of a high-stress environment, you may be an essential worker, a nurse, a doctor who is having to deal with this every day with mm-hmm. you know understaffed, not enough protective equipment, or just an essential worker who has to work. Um, myself, for example, or if you're maybe in working in the, the food industry, 
um, and just having to deal with it coming home and possibly infecting other people with it. That's a worry. And then there's, you know, I think burning out. Um, I know at Larned we have staff are having to deal with that. I'm sure it's happening all across the country with healthcare workers mm-hmm. that burn out, possibly losing your job because of shutdowns or people just aren't coming anymore. That's another how you're going to feed your family, how you're going to take care of other people. Finally, as, as kind of a, a the family or domestic, you know, the social isolation, being by yourself all the time. We all, I think, love our families, but there can be a little too much family time, at, you know, and we're all mm-hmm. stuck together in a high-stress <clears throat> right. situation right. that can really cause a lot of domestic issues. And then there's just what I read about, which is just this pervasive societal anxiety where it just seems to permeate the air we're in, where it just everybody is just sort of anxious about everything. And so that really just kind of permeates mm-hmm. Every, you know, everything we, we do. Right. So let's talk about age and circumstance. For example, how these anxieties differ between children, parents, grandparents, things of that nature. So let's, let's maybe start and talk about kids and kind of work our way up from there. Before I do that, can I go to one more thing? Absolutely. All right. Sure. Well, one of the things that we all experience anxiety, um, what's really the, the problem with it? Um, and anxiety can be a, a positive thing that it kind of moves us into problem solving and how do we deal with potential issues that may arise. The problem that anxiety can pose where it can become uh, disordered or it can become uh, a problem that we don't problem solve very well, we end up getting stuck, is when we kind of get a vicious cycle going. And so anxiety, we experience this anxiety, this worrying, this uh, nervousness, and that usually makes us avoid a situation. We usually want to kind of escape it. And so then that there's short-term relief in that, that we kind of avoid having to deal with whatever our anxiety is. But then we also lose confidence in our ability to cope with it, which then increases our anxiety because we don't think we can deal with it, which makes us more anxious about having to do it, which makes us avoid again. And then you see how this vicious cycle starts. So that's why we really want to be able to... Uh, know how to deal with anxiety and cope with it in a more successful way than kind of get stuck in this vicious cycle. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, that's obviously some great points to talk about. Uh, let's now kind of move into how those particular anxieties differ with a person, maybe, again, children, parents, grandparents, obviously people in nursing homes and, and uh, how different things are certainly for them. But let's uh, jump into that, if you would. Sure. Um, thinking about this, like what kind of anxieties would, would children have? My children are a little too young, I think, to truly be able to process everything that's going on. They kind of they kind of know um, there's something not right going on. But with other parents I've talked to and some children I've seen, I think the first is, and I'm going to say this a lot, is a social isolation. We are creatures that need other people. We were made to be in communion with each other, to live a communio, and that is being kind of torn apart from from us right now. And I think that in itself causes a lot of lot of issues. Then, you know, missing peers, um, trying to do schoolwork in front of a screen uh, with parents trying to help. Um, and then, you know, I think just the, the constant worry about um, any family issues that could be in or worrying about your family, worrying about infection. I think those are a lot of things on, on children's minds right now that, are, that can cause a lot of worry. Um, in regard to parents, um, I think, you know, how do you 
do homeschool at the same time, maybe work from home. So you're trying to balance these two things. How are you providing the basic necessities to your family? Maybe you, you are not working. Maybe you lost your job, you lost your business. And, and so you're, you're going to need help on that end. At the same time, managing your own anxiety while trying to show confidence to your kids that things are going to be okay. I think that's a real challenge for parents. And then I think when things are, are kind of chronically high stress, that puts a real weight on marital relationships. And I think that could be a, a real difficult thing to manage during this time. Uh, grandparents, again, I think that social isolation, being by yourself, it just can be very difficult. I think the worry about infection is grandparents who seem to be the most at risk for having bad reactions to COVID. Worrying about how you're going to get out to others, see other people, and, and I think worrying about yourself, but also your family getting in, in, infected, and how do I have my family come, but I don't want to get infected, or and there's just a lot of worry about that. The elderly in nursing homes, definitely the social isolation again, missing family members. I think a, a worry is going to be there. Can the people in nursing homes and at many hospitals are there, and they're kind of living there. That's their home. The staff go in and out. And I think the real concern would be having a, a staff member, they can kind of do what they want on their off time, coming in and being positive and then spreading it to elderly people in the nursing homes. Mm -hmm. I used to work in assisted living centers when I was going through a school, and there's, they would bring a lot of outside people in for entertainment, for uh, talks. You know, they'd bring uh, priests would come, different pastors, different denominations would, would, would come talk. There'd be entertainers come in, they dance, sing, do different things. And I'm sure all of that is probably gone. And so there's just this boredom, I'm sure, of that is pervasive. And that would be a high-stress, high-anxiety situation. With those who may be um, people with mental health issues that, that could be in the hospital, like where I work, um, I think it's going to be similar to the nursing home, worrying about positive staff coming in. There's a lot less activities. Staff getting burned out and overworked. And I really think that mental health workers, in many ways, are the kind of silent first responders to this. Mm. As people come to us for help with dealing, dealing with this stress, dealing with this anxiety, we're dealing with it at the same time. So we're trying to put those things that are bothering us aside to deal with and help other people and also help those in the healthcare field who are kind of on, on the very first line of defense against COVID. And I, I think in many ways the mental health system is getting very, very stretched thin and, and is getting very kind of having some cracks right now that's it, it, sure. getting difficult. Eric, one of the things I think that has been a real struggle for families is those who have uh, parents or grandparents in the nursing homes because obviously there's no visitation. Mm -hmm. They can maybe see them through glass. Some of those uh, elderly in nursing homes are dealing with maybe a situation of dementia or, or um, something along those lines so that really their confusion even gets even deeper. Um, and so what, you know, are there any practical ways? What can families do? And, and I, I don't think there's a lot of answers here, but, you know, I mean, visitations aren't allowed other than, like I said, behind the glass right. a lot of times. And then it becomes, why can't I, you know, hug my the elderly people inside the nursing homes are saying, why can't I hug my family members, mm. things of that nature. It right. becomes a real challenge. So maybe yeah. speak to that a little bit. I think it's a, a huge challenge right now. I can't imagine being in, in the nursing home where you're already somewhat isolated and then being even more without family members having to come and having, you know, uh, some of them sometimes can leave the nursing home for, you know, weekends and go with their family and, and mm -hmm. you know, Thanksgiving, obviously, we just had and Christmas, and they're not going to be able to do that. 
I don't know either that there's a whole lot of great recommendations right now that we could do. I think the best we could probably do is do our best to explain what's happening and, and, and why we're wanting to protect them. Obviously, I'm aware of the, of the debate in our country about where civil rights end and where health protections begin and, and, and all of that. And so that's another um, difficult situation I think we're, we're dealing with right now in our country. Mm-hmm. I think probably the best thing to do in my mind is obviously we could do through the glass or you could do like a zoom meetings, virtual meetings. I don't know if sometimes maybe you can even send like gift baskets or something like through the mail. They might be willing to, to let them have things that maybe remind them of their family. Mm. But I think it's a very difficult situation that doesn't have a lot of great answers to it. Certainly doesn't. It's one of the big challenges that we face today. We're talking about how anxieties differ with a person's age or circumstances. Did, did we get kind of through most of those? I, I think we stopped about- where just about uh, we're going to talk about maybe masks. Oh, okay. There we go. And I think I think the stress in this wearing masks or not wearing masks is sort of a, a greater situation, which is the, the political everything has become politicized. Mm-hmm. There's nothing that has not been politicized. We see it through our health recommendations. I mean, we even see it in our own church. This has happened. I know examples of, of this happening where in, in the Archdiocese of uh, D.C., there was uh, a big to-do that they were only allowing 10 people in the church and social distancing. When the, when the protests and riots were happening, the priests, they were getting encouraged to go to those. And so it was just, you know, there, there was this politicization, I didn't say that right, of just everything in our culture. Sure. Um, and I think that is probably a huge stress going on. Just the, the news has become toxic. I think it's difficult to know what to believe anymore when it comes to COVID or when it comes to politics or just everything. It seems to just be um, very very political and very slanted mm-hmm. and very uh, black or white. There's There's no way to kind of if you're not on our side then you're not you're an enemy and i think that that's really what you're wearing masks has become kind of a, a political statement where maybe it doesn't need to be right and then, and then it's really sad to see all of these things uh you know obviously uh, i think there was enough division in the country before covid but has really kind of caused even more division as well and obviously one of the things we always talk about and somebody we we talked about it yesterday was that trust in god we get into the fear factor and fear begins to overtake our lives and then we don't uh, you know when we know we need to trust as well and um while we need to be certainly aware of the dangers of of COVID and what it can do. And I, I know that firsthand with a family member, my brother, who's dealing with with it right now. And so it is a reality for sure. It's not something that's just made up. Uh, but but at the same time, um, again, handling those things with without, uh, you know, obviously it's a, it's a scary situation, but we sometimes let fear overtake us as well. So we need to take a short break right now, but stay tuned to Divine Mercy Radio. We'll be right back with more from Eric Brown on anxiety during COVID. We're back on One Body Stewarding God's Creation. Anxiety during COVID. With psychologist Eric Brown. Ken Billinger conducts the interview. 
Eric Brown is our guest this afternoon. We're talking about mental health in this time of COVID. So, uh, Eric, how do we begin to recognize stress in our lives and, 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 tr- and to clearly understand that stress? Well, I think the first thing to do <clears throat> is trying to be aware of what symptoms do we tend to display when we're when we are stressed or stressed out, as a lot of people like to say. And so usually when people are, are stressed, you will usually see a, an irritability about them. They kind of snap at you. They, they maybe aren't always the pleasant, most pleasant person to be around. You also can have interrupted sleep. So this can kind of manifest itself in a couple of different ways. One is you can't fall asleep and you kind of have this insomnia. Another is you, you just have this, what I call fitful sleep where you're waking up often. Um, maybe you can sleep for a couple hours, you wake up, maybe you can't go to back to sleep for a while, then you finally fall asleep, but you wake back up again. Another kind of telltale sign is when you wake up early. Um, so usually if you go to bed at, I don't know, 11 and you usually wake up at 8, you start waking up at 5 or 4.30 in the morning and it <coughs> becomes consistent. And that is another sign that there, there, there's this stress going on that you can't really rest. Some people have a change in appetite. Either they're stressed and they, you hear about stress eaters and they're constantly eating because it kind of soothes them it, it gives as a coping strategy. Or they just lose their appetite. They don't, they, they stop eating. I even know people who will eat and then they will vomit because they just can't hold it down. It just makes their stomach is so upset, their, mm. their body is so upset. Sometimes you get skin breakouts, you get acne, things like that. Some people can get rashes. Um, chest pain, some people talk about, especially if you're having a panic attack, they feel like you're having a heart attack, your heart will start beating, racing hard, and your chest kind of constricts. We all know about having going through stressful situations, and then when it's over, we all get, we get, we get a cold, you get sick. So people might get, get sick more often because mm-hmm. the body becomes less resilient as is having to have all this, uh, dealing with all this stress going on. If you have a pre-existing medical condition, it's probably going to get worse if you're really stressed out over a long period of time. So I think it's very important to pay attention to those stress symptoms so you can kind of know that if I'm getting kind of irritable with my family and I'm not sleeping real well, it probably means I'm stressed about something and I need to figure out what is it that I'm stressed about. So knowing that those kind of how your body reacts to stress is kind of a first step. Some people find it very helpful to keep a stress journal so you kind of write down what causes you stress and how your body's reacting. And that kind of can help you gain insight into what triggers your stress. So if, for example, I know that I work deadlines at work trigger my stress and how my body is going to react in a certain way, I can kind of prepare for that. So I know how to maybe deal with it more. I need to take more time for prayer. Maybe I need to take a little bit of alone time. Maybe I need to, you know, exercise a little bit more, whatever it is that kind of helps you deal with that. Um, and then you know what's coming and you know how to manage it better. So it doesn't take such a toll on, on you and, and other people around you. And there's always, you know, seeking medical treatment, talking with your doctor, a psychiatrist, a therapist to kind of understand better that those triggers and how your body responds so that you can be able, we're not going to take away stress, but we want to be able to manage it better so that we would know it's coming and then we can, we can deal with it a little bit better. Uh, I think the first thing, as I talked about before, was recognizing it. So identify the, the stressors, you know, what, what tends to cause stress in you. Uh, could it be deadlines? Could it be presentations, having to talk in front of people? Um, could it actually be going out to crowded stores during Christmas shopping time? Uh, during this time, it could be, you know, interacting with other people. Um, just what, what is it that kind of causes that stress? So knowing that is, is kind of the first step. Something else that is important that I could definitely take do more of is regular exercise that really helps us get rid of a lot of the adrenaline that's in our we kind of sweat out the adrenaline that's in our body that can do damage over time to our body and it just emotionally makes us be able to deal with things emotionally better it kind of makes our uh, mental acuity 
a little more focused and sharp. So that regular exercise is really important. I know it's kind of getting cold outside. It's hard to do things outside, mm-hmm. and the gyms may not be the most safest place uh, right now. But um, anything you can do, whether you just move more, maybe you take the steps instead of an elevator, running in place at home, um, walking around your house, anything that just kind of gets you to move more is going to be helpful. Two things that I could definitely, again, could use more of is eating and sleeping well, um, having a good diet, getting the fruits and veggies, having lean protein. Those things are going to help us. The more sugary stuff and fatty stuff we eat, that actually tends to make us not feel as good. And that can, although in the short term, it makes us feel better. It's kind of a coping skill to make ourselves feel better from the stress. It really kind of just drags us down, uh, slows us down, and it doesn't make us feel good in the long, long run. Same thing with sleep. If we can get a good eight, nine hours of sleep, that's going to make us be able to cope with the stress and manage the stress better. Um, taking time out. So taking time out for yourself. Um, I, people have always said you have to uh, you know, p- take time to pencil in God in your schedule. So taking time to go pray. Um, the church is open. Go pray there. To find some quiet space in, in where you live to pray. Taking some time if you need to soak in a hot tub. You know, do something that kind of can just kind of wind you down. Take a little time out. That's important. Um, you can only go keep going so far and so much so hard until your, your body is going to start really wearing out on you. And again, you'll end up getting sick and your body will make you take a break. There's various problem solving techniques. Um, one of the things about anxiety is that we can, sometimes get into this cycle I, I talked about earlier where we think worrying about something is, is kind of the, the problem-solving technique, that we, if we worry about it enough, we'll figure it out. And that actually just does not work. Our better strategy is to kind of take, figure out what exactly the, our problem is, what are we dealing with our problem, and then thinking about what is maintaining this problem, what, what are variables are, are going on that are keeping this problem going. And then making a list of what, what, how, how, what would it be like, what would I like to see if this problem were solved? Then going through a variety of different ideas you may have, brainstorming them, taking those ideas and maybe doing, um, but doing kind of like advantages and disadvantages, there you go, of, of those ideas. Try one out, see if it kind of solves the problem for you, makes things better. If not, you kind of go back again, do it again. So again, we're kind of breaking that pattern of just constant worrying, ruminating on a problem instead of making it, instead of making it progress on it, we're just kind of stuck in this, this cycle. There's various calming techniques we could use. One of the best ones is called progressive muscle relaxation. Some may have heard this, but really you start at your feet. You just kind of find a nice place. You sit down. You, you, and so what you do, you start with your feet and you tense your muscles for about three seconds, and then you release them. And you kind of just feel the tension go away. And you start off at your feet, and you move all the way up to kind of your, your, your head, and it just relaxes your body. And so there's, um, you can probably go online and f- uh, find some guides on how to how to do that another one is called um, grounding and so that is where if you're getting yourself really kind of upset you kind of take a time out and you just kind of feel your feet on the floor and you just kind of take your surroundings in and you just kind of get yourself back to yourself you kind of realize where you're at what's going on and you just take a little time to calm yourself down mindfulness is another calming technique that takes some time to, to, to work but in essence that is just really being in the moment where you're at and just enjoying that moment and not worrying about what's going to happen in the future not thinking about all the mistakes you may have made in the past but it's just focusing on enjoying your moment and and, and that takes some practice but it, um, there, again there's a lot of stuff online you can find going to talk to someone who's trained in helping people know how to do that it, it would be helpful also 
sometimes people that have a lot of stress aren't very assertive. They they tend to be kind of uh, permissive. They kind of let people maybe walk on them. They have a hard time saying no. Um, so being able to learn some communication skills, some assertiveness training, being able to stand up for yourself, that can be very helpful to learn those techniques. And the last thing is people that have a lot of anxiety, a lot of stress, that have a hard time dealing with stress and have anxiety, tend to have a lot of negative thinking patterns. So being able to kind of start working on those. And again, this kind of uh, th these things take time to, to work on, and you need a little coaching probably to do it. But um, it's as easy as ABC, <clears throat> as I say. So if we think of the A as an activating event, that is whatever is going on around us, COVID, for example. And then C is the consequences. That is what how we're, how we're feeling. B then, so we usually connect A to C. So the activating event causes the way I'm feeling. Eric Brown is our guest talking this afternoon about how we can control stress in our lives, mental health in this time of COVID. And I know you had maybe a couple more points you wanted to talk about. We have plenty of time, Eric. So sure. uh, uh, as far as um, how to control stress and things we can do there. Well, sorry about that. I was talking about negative thinking. So again, a being this activating event, COVID, as an example. C being the consequence, which we'll define as being uh, the emotional response we have to it. Um, and usually we connect A to C. That A, the activating event, is causing the way I'm feeling. But actually, that's not true. What's actually true is we have this B in the middle, and that stands for belief. Our belief about the activating event is actually causing how we're feeling. Because our thoughts and our feelings are connected, we can't separate them from each other. So we may, may or may not be able to change the activating event, but we can certainly change the way we're thinking about it. And so that, in therapy, one of the things is called cognitive behavioral therapy, and that's where we spend a lot of time with people, helping them change that thinking, these kind of ingrained negative thinking patterns that we can kind of help them change after over time. And so I think that's one of the, the, the biggest ways uh, to change it. And so, again, there's some stuff online you can find. I know you can probably find books about uh, work, workbooks on doing this yourself at home. If you're so inclined to go maybe talk to a therapist, that they, they would be able to train in that also. So those are some, some very brief, in brief, kind of ways to, to manage stress. All right. Um, we're going to also take a look at, um, you know, one of the things that we know that even even before the, the pandemic, I think there had been an increase in suicides. And since the pandemic, that's cr increased a, a, even more. So what what has been the cause of that? Well, yeah, you're right. The CDC actually called it an epidemic of suicide prior to uh, <clears throat> COVID starting. Um, I, I know of two people uh, that committed suicide that I uh, personally knew. And I, I bet everybody, most people listening, I bet have been touched by this somehow. I think this is a really bad situation because, um, as some people have said, the cure for COVID may be worse than, than the disease. Uh, I know that in teenagers, there's been more deaths by suicide than by COVID. This is a different country, but with a whole different kind of cultural mindset. But in Japan, in the month of October, there are actually more people died of suicide there than they did of COVID. And so this is a really a problem. Wow. Uh, I think, again, that the social isolation is just a killer. Like, I just can't emphasize that enough, that we are, we are made to be in communion with each other. We are made to be social, and we're kind of having that, that has to be taken away whether that needs to be as extreme as it is or, or, or not, that's, I don't know if I want to get into that, but that is, to, that is something that we just need and we're not getting it. And so that already, being isolated is already a risk factor for suicide, and now that's on steroids. 
a lot of coping skills for people have been taken away. I, I've seen this in, in my work at the hospital. People would, you know, walk at the mall. People would um, go to group therapies. People would have play cards together. People would, you know, do a whole variety of things together. And all of that's been kind of taken away. So now you're just by yourself with all those anxiety and stress and, and loneliness. And, and so I think um, you know, can't go to the gym to exercise. It's just the list will go on. And I think that's another factor that people's normal routines and their normal coping skills have just been ripped away from them suddenly. And then you, on top of that, you pile all this anxiety about all this stuff going on. I think feelings that one can't recover from what happened, that whether someone has passed away, whether you got the disease, or whether we feel like we're never going to get out of this, or this is, we're just stuck in this place right now. And the news media doesn't help. I actually read an article the other day about anxiety in the news media. That vicious cycle kind of starts where you're anxious, and so you want to get information, so you turn to the news media. Mm. Well, the news media just amplifies it, and then, so that makes you more anxious. But then to make yourself feel better, you go back to the news media to get some information, and this vicious cycle starts. And so I think you have to be very, very choosy about... One, um, how often you engage with the media, and two, what media you're consuming. I think Catholic media has been very sober in dealing with the pandemic and, and doing the best they can with, with, with facts and, and, and numbers. I think cable news media has been pretty toxic. Even like the evening news, has again, everything's become so politicized that it's just, I, I have a hard time trusting and knowing what's real and what isn't. Yeah. Um, and I think that that's a hard, hard thing to deal with. And so I think you just have to be very choosy. Sometimes you just got to turn it off. You maybe watch certain things that you need to watch or read. Have some good good sources that you would you feel comfortable with. And, and that, that's a difficult thing. The politics in our country has become very toxic. I don't need to talk about how this, this election just went, went and it's still being contested. And, and that is just abnormal. And so just these things are just all this anxiety and stress is just taking a toll on people that already are having struggles. Yeah. So I think those are all things that are, are, are causing. One of the things you touched on is just who do you trust? I, I know that's that's been a big thing. In fact, sources, even through all of this and through the last through this election, some of the sources that I thought maybe I could trust, I found out were not sources I could trust yes, anyway. Absolutely. And and so that that becomes a very frustrating thing. Obviously, you know, shutting, learning to shut things off. But what what are some of the things we can do to help prevent this? I know one of the things you mentioned uh, that that increase in suicide. But what preventative measures? One, obviously, shutting off the media or finding, like you said, media that is giving giving you the the accurate information, which may be a little bit hard to do. But um, what what are some other things that you might suggest there? I think if you notice somebody looking depressed, sad, or anxious, talking with them, asking them, saying, you know, you don't look well, uh, you know, what's going on? I can just tell you don't seeming like yourself. It's really a myth that if you go and ask someone about um, if they're feeling, feeling suicidal, that'll put the thought in their mind. Honestly, the thought's already there for the people. A lot of people are looking for someone to say say that to them so they can actually talk about it mm. because they feel ashamed that they're even having these thoughts. And so it's very so you will not put those thoughts in someone's mind and make them suicidal. They probably already are. Mm. And you're just letting them be able to talk about it. Well, that's a great information. I think a lot of people struggle. And that was one of the questions I was going to ask about because a lot of times parents or, you know, others, I guess the other question I have sometimes the, 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 there begins to be 
be the feeling of guilt or blame. It's like, why didn't I see this? Why couldn't I do more when somebody's taken their life? How do you how do you deal with a situation like that? Right. I think the important thing is that there's only going to be so much you're going to be able to do to help somebody. In the end, <clears throat> this person's going to make their own decision and their own whether to do that or not. You know, at my work, we have people that come in who are suicidal and they're looks like they're doing well. We let them go, and in a couple of months, we find out they they hurt themselves or they they passed away through suicide. Mm. And there's only so much you can do to help them. So I think this, I think feeling guilty could I have said something just right or kind of beating yourself up about it isn't really very helpful. That's just going to make you upset. Reviewing maybe you know could I have said something different ne- next time? How could I help somebody? Might be helpful for a short bit of time, but there's really the best thing you can do is, and people miss things. Some some people come out of the blue and just do it. One of the things that I was going to say, what you if you wanted to have, be a little bit more aware of things that people might be doing who are looking, thinking about suicide, is um, notice some of the warning signs. One is if you notice someone collecting pills, that is going to be a big thing. If they're supposed to be taking certain pills and you notice them not taking them, but they're kind of keeping them in a baggie or they're buying more pills than usual, those kind of things. Getting firearms, buying a gun, again, could be nothing. But if you just notice they're not looking well and suddenly they decided to purchase a gun, that could be a real warning sign. A big one is giving valuables away to things that maybe they are important to them, sort of giving to other people is kind of a way of saying goodbye and you know, a way to remember me when I'm gone. Um, talking about death or dying a lot, if they're just saying, you know, you know, I don't know why I'm still here. Sometimes I just wish I could go to sleep and not wake up. I just wish I were dead. People may be saying those kind of things. That's a huge warning sign. And people are saying goodbye as if they're not going to be around anymore. Um, texting you, saying things on Facebook sometimes is, is there, or coming to you, talking to you, and, and making this kind of weird statements that as if this goodbye is the last one. Those are some of the warning signs, so if you want to be more aware of those. But again, uh, we do the best we can, but we're not always going to be able to stop people from doing this, unfortunately. Yeah. But we just can't take the blame on ourselves. Sure. We want to talk a little bit about how we can occupy ourselves to keep our minds off the pandemic. I mean, sometimes you can sit around and stew about things, uh, uh, you know, and especially with the signs all around us. We see it um, with news. We all, It's all over the media. We go to the store. Everywhere we go, we're wearing a mask and things of that nature. How can we occupy ourselves a little better and keep our minds? We know we can't get our minds totally off it, but right. we don't want to dwell on it either. Right, right. Um, I think the most important thing is pray. That is the most powerful thing. As, as you know, I talked last time about St. Dymphna. Um, she's a patron saint of mental health, mental illness. Um, and there is actually a chaplet um, that I, I have. And um, you, I'm sure you can find it online or purchase it. I, I got it at the National Cathedral in D.C., and one of the things that it, the, this chaplet, what you say over and over again, is St. Dymphna, calm and help us. And I think when we're feeling anxious and, and nervous and worried, ask, she's a very powerful intercessor, and asking her to calm and help us is a, is a great tool um, in, in prayer. I think, again, I talked about this before, you got to choose your, your news sources wisely. Um, those that make you feel anxious, you probably need to stop watching um, or very watch very little of. Again, engaging in that physical activity, trying to get yourself walking more, running more, whatever it is you want to do, push-ups, sit-ups, doesn't really matter as long as you move more. Um, engage as much as you can with other people. Um, I know that can be difficult to do in person, but if, you, if it's virtually or over the phone, just trying to stay with other people. Don't don't stay, keep yourself isolated. 
receiving the sacraments as often as possible. Uh, sometimes that can be difficult with some of the restrictions we're under, but I think as much as you can to get, get grace to, to get through this. Mm-hmm. You know, I always think God put us here during this time for a reason. We're not here by happenstance. God has put us here during this time to deal with these stressors because he knows we can deal with it. There's something he wants to give us even through this difficult time. God always finds some good, something to give us through, through negative things in our lives. And so uh, that, that brings some consolation to know that God is, is doing something with all of this. You know, I think also focusing on the good things that are happening. There's been a lot of negative, horrible things that have happened this year. <clears throat> but I think focusing on, on the good things people have done for each other. There's a, a, For example, I heard a news story when this was first hitting and, and the country was really low on personal protective equipment. There was a group of guys, and I'm not sure where this was, I don't remember, but they went and spent 21 days straight in this factory. They ate there, they slept there to make PPE for the healthcare workers. I mean, that's this heroic virtue of, of and sacrifice. They stayed away from their families to, to get this out to people. Mm-hmm. So that, that is a great story. Um, all, all of the things that our, our priests and, and some of our bishops have done to help us get the sacraments or, or you know, drive in holy hours. I know there's been priests who drove through city streets with a monstrance and a truck so that people could, could be with a Eucharist. Employers have found various ways to be able to stay open during all of this and, and get to keep their people being paid and employed. So there's been a lot of wonderful things that people have done during this difficult time, and I think we need to focus on that, too. Some great points, Eric. Uh, we're about ra- about to wrap up, but I just, I guess as we finish this afternoon, one of the things that, uh, you know, I mean, I, I'm seeing this in uh, my my brother currently is in, in the hospital with COVID and, and re- really struggling. Haven't He's been in for nine days now, or 10, and uh, so I, there is that level of stress, and so um, and that's part of what I'm, uh, as I'm, I'm talking here, I'm also trying to kind of get information sure. from family about what's going on. Right. But, you know, I want to go jump back. I think this is the thing that we, we really have to, I, I think strides are being made, like you said, but uh, that stigma that it surrounds the, mm-hmm. you know, the mental health um, world. And how do we begin to break free of that and, and get rid of that stigma? I mean, do you have any thoughts on that? I think the more and more we talk about it with people and explain what it is, I think that that'll help. Um, a lot of people used to think, but I think, you know, back in the back a long time ago, people didn't know what to do with these people. You know, we had these insane asylums where we stuck them out in the middle of nowhere and just kind of forgot about them because we had really no real treatment for them. We don't know why they were doing this. And so that became that stigma. Well, you know, Uncle Ben, he kind of crazy. He's out at, you know, where somewhere in the middle of nowhere. We just don't talk about him. It's kind of this family secret. But now we've come to understand through, uh, you know, scientific research what is actually going on, that this is a, a brain disorder, that it's, many of these things can be very treatable. They may never go away. They, they can be very chronic, like bipolar disorder or schizophrenia, mm-hmm. those things. But we can at least increase their uh, their ability to live a more happier life and, and, and possibly even be able to reintegrate into society fairly well. And so I think that it's important that these things be looked at not so much as something that we don't understand and something that we just are embarrassed about, but this is a real medical issue. This is a medical problem that, re- that requires medical intervention. And I think the more we talk about that and the more we can show brain scans, you can see very, very well of someone who doesn't have schizophrenia and someone who does, there's a definite difference between those. And then you put them on medications and suddenly their brain looks a little, a little bit closer to a quote unquote normal brain. Well, that, that's a medical issue. And so I think we have to see that, that this is a medical 
mm-hmm. disorder, a medical problem right. that needs medical treatment. It's right. no longer this weird thing that no one understands. Great information, Eric. Thank you for joining us. You're and welcome. We hope that stigma continues. To, we hope we can continue to chip away at getting rid of that stigma. Yes, I think absolutely. it's so important. Thanks for tuning in to this week's One Body Stewarding God's Creation show. If you have a comment about today's show, please go to dvmercy.com and click on the One Body icon. The comment button is in the middle of the page. Also, if you can help keep great shows like this one on the air, please go to dvmercy.com and click on Donate. Your donation will be very much appreciated. You're listening to Divine Mercy Radio 101.7 KJDM Salina, 105.7 KMDG Hayes, 88.1 KRTT Great Bend, and 88.1 KVDM Hayes. If today you hear his voice, harden not your hearts. One body.